surprised to see me here? I knew you'd come. told me I could never be like him. Now I understand why. Wouldn't have bothered him knowing you were around somewhere alive. So you found out you're not a businessman after all? Just a man. An ancient race. Other mortals will be along, and they'll kill it off. Future don't matter to us. Nothing matters now, not the land, not the money, not the woman. I came here to see you. Because I know that now you'll tell me what you're after. Hello everyone and welcome. I feel like we should have had a sort of country and western version of our theme tune really. If anyone out there wants to record alternative versions for us, feel free to do so. We should ask Dolly to do it. We should, we should ask Dolly. I think she's probably she's probably too expensive for us, let's be honest. And as, as she always says, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we look cheap and it doesn't uh, cost a lot of money for us to do so because we are in the studio, in our little studio here in the heart of Birmingham, in the heart of the UK, in the heart of Europe, discuss. Um, and uh, we are here talking about, well, are we talking about Europe or what are we talking about? Because obviously you heard a clip there, you heard a clip from the most quintessentially American of film genres you heard a clip from once upon a time in uh, the west uh, which is of course a western and you know a western is let's let's face it let's face it everyone a western is kind of it's one of the possibly i don't know maybe the blues as well but one of the the key kind of artistic forms that america you know, has, has, has truly invented, you know, dis- I know there's a big discussion here. I'm saying all this um, because I want to annoy the person who's sitting very near to me, not just Mr. Tim Wilson, who is sitting very near to me, uh, uh, who is who's, who's, who's constantly annoyed with me. me. Um, but our guest today, our guest today is an expert on all things Western. Uh, and he is, and I'm going to try and pronounce this right. He's given me a, a lesson in this already. So apologies if I get it wrong. Louis? Luis. Good start. Uh, Luis, <laughs> apologies. Luis Freijo. Freijo, yes. Freijo. Well, that's good enough. <laughs> okay, and hello, Luis. Um, <laughs> hello, for those Blake. of you um, who aren't uh, familiar with the show, we are the Screen Brum Show here on Brum Radio. And what we do is we learn 
well, we talk about what we've learned in life from screens. Screens, um, you know, our generation, and I say our generation is anyone over 100, so I'm pretty sure there's everyone out there, basically learn everything they need to know about life or they think they need to know about life from screens. So um, we are here to kind of interrogate that and understand it a little bit more, and we want you to, to, to uh, join in. So if you have any questions, do tweet us at ScreenBrum here at Brum Radio on Twitter, or you can email us, ScreenBrum at, no, what is it, info at screenbrum.co.uk. But I've done enough of that jibber-jabbering of my talk. Now, I want to introduce Luis. And Luis, tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're an expert. Well, uh, right now I am smiling uncomfortably because of what you said about <laughs> the Americanness of the Western. Um, I am a PhD student, a first-year PhD student in, at the University of Birmingham in the Department of Film and Creative Writing. And the topic of my thesis, of my research, is what I am calling World Cinema Westerns. World Cinema Westerns. Now, America is part of the world. I know um, certain American politicians would, would probably disagree with that and attempt to separate themselves off, but they're part of the world. So it, what is world cinema in that case? What makes it different? Um, world cinema is a way to understand cinema in which... We are not thinking about Hollywood uh, as the center and then a second center, which would be European cinema. And then the rest and understanding the rest of cinemas always in relation to Hollywood and European cinema. World cinema tries to understand film in a, considering everyone on the same level without having any, any hierarchy. So, yes, Hollywood is just one cinema among a world of cinemas. We cannot also antagonize it because then we would be establishing a hierarchy. We just have to consider it in a polycentric manner. A polycentric manner. This is the kind of highbrow stuff uh, you can <laughs> expect <laughs> from... Uh, I apologize. <laughs> I cannot really escape now, myself now. No, this, this, is, is, this is the sort of stuff we, we love on a Friday, isn't it? You this, know, yeah, on a, fri on a Friday afternoon, yeah. Well, Luis is Luis is an expert on that, so we're going to sound. Well, expert is a big word. It is a big word, but uh, it's, it's the closest we're going to have. Um, it's certainly more yeah. an expert. No, Tim, your microphone is not making the sufficient sounds. How's that? We'll come back to it. Okay, we'll have to come back to it. We have had a few um, technical snafus um, because, you know, talking about being uh, cheap, you know, some of our equipment here is not the most um, up-to-date, so we're, we're struggling slightly in the studio, which is a very good way of me to say, if you'd like to support Brum Radio, go to our homepage and uh, click the support. Uh, I think we've got a button support, and you can uh, do a Patreon, pay us some money, which will not just keep uh, tim m biscuits it will keep tim in microphones that work um so uh, the hilarious thing now is i can say what i like because he can't make he can't be heard so louise and um, what we're going to do is we're going to be running through some um some classic films perhaps that make this up but now you know we talk about the world cinema and western i, I i'm i'm struggling and i'm sure a lot of our audience will as well to say okay but you know a western is a cowboy film about the Wild West yes. in America. So how does how is that a world cinema issue? Well, it is a world cinema issue for starters because, and I always have this, I, I am originally from Spain, so I always have this struggle with English, which is using the word America to designate the United States of America. America is a continent with three subcontinents and 35 sovereign countries, so just using one the word of the continent to designate just one country um, is 
Well, not accurate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, there's, yeah. there's an actual Guilty word in Spanish called United Station. The, the, the translation would be United Station. So you would be designating only the United States with it. So that that's one of the first standpoints. Uh, the other one is, well, what you were saying at the beginning, the Western quintessential American film. But is it since we have so many films that are westerns and we will discuss if you want what being a western means made all over the world Um, I'm into six months of my research and in those six months I've seen over 80 films that I could consider are western that is amateur mate amateur I've seen more than 60 films in the last week (laughs) sorry carry on in the last 20 years there's (laughs) over 80 films that I have Seen made in Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, the US, obviously, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, Korea, South Korea, Japan, China, uh, South Africa, Nigeria, the United Arab Emirates, Turkey, uh, France, Spain, Austria, Denmark, the UK. Mm-hmm. All of them can be considered Westerns. Why? So, Why are they westerns? Is it is it a hat? Is it a horse? What makes it a western? Well, if I, when I encounter one of these films, I always, th- I always think if it feels like a western, because sometimes you know it looks like a western, it sounds like a western, it moves like a western, <laughs> uh, so it feels like a western and therefore must be a western. Uh, the clip that you played at the beginning from uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, if you were seeing that scene. You have the music from, from Ennio Morricone, the trumpets, you have the horse, you have Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson with their hats and with their tough attitudes talking about the end of the West and everything. So, yeah, must be a Western. But what happens when the film does not look like a Western because it doesn't have horses or hats or guns? It doesn't sound like a Western because it doesn't have this kind of soundtrack which is associated to the Western. But it feels like a western it feels like you have the tropes the attitudes the themes it's a very very good question isn't it Um, well i it's you know it's what 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 would you think these things are i mean what what is it is it a is it you know is it a horse is it a hat what is it one of these things it's like when they say about pornography I, i couldn't define it but i know it when i see it yes um and my attempt to to um do this very um, interesting comparison with pornography and uh, <laughs> actually know why I feel that it is a Western is to say that a Western is a film that depicts a frontier space. Mm. Now, what is a frontier space? Um, using Max Weber, who is this German sociologist from the end of 19th century, beginning of the 20th, that says that the state... The institutional state is defined by the monopoly over the legitimate use of physical violence. Mm-hmm. Okay, so therefore, a frontier space is a political space. I'm not talking about borders. I'm un- I'm talking about frontiers. We're definitely not talking about borders today. That's yeah. been all over the news. I'm not getting yeah, into that exactly. again. Exactly. <laughs> uh, not today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe <laughs> the day after tomorrow, but not today. <laughs> so. The frontier space is a space in which the state and its its institutions does, do not have 
the monopoly over the legitimate use of physical violence. So violence is rampant, and therefore the state does not exist or does not fully exist. Mm. Yeah. Which is the topic of many of the classic westerns. If you watch something like uh, The Searchers or The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance, things like that, you are having, or even Once Upon a Time in the West that you just played, you have this moment which is just previous to the state taking over. Liberty balance is killed, and therefore the institutions can progress and become uh, a nation, which is, until now, the United States. Mm -hmm. What happens then when other nations are using that kind of frontier space or are using that kind of style as well? Because the Western in the end is, is the um, confluence between that frontier space who goes back to... Uh, the Arthurian myth or to Greek tragedy or to the Japanese stories of yeah. the feudal Japan or the drug laws now in uh, Mexico, for example, the, the cartels. But you have in a certain period of time, which is the 1910s, 1920s, in a certain place, which is the Hollywood studios, this story is made through a certain medium film and with a certain style, which is the duels, the cowboys, the hats, the guns, and everything. Mm -hmm. But can that be used by other nations that are not the U.S. in order to address their own political subjects, mm. use that frontier space to that can be detached from its Americanness? That's my question. Well, we're going to get some answers to it. We're going to define the answers. to this. We'll write your PhD by the end of the show today. That would be very convenient. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I was just thinking, as you said that, I was thinking about how often we hear the Wild West invoke, you know, the Internet. The dark web is the Wild West. We talk, you know, so any, any, basically we're talking about places where there's no rule there's of no law. Rules, yeah. There's no and and therefore cometh the the silent man with his uh, his six shooter and his um, cheroot um uh, speaking of which tim um let's have another go with your microphone hello is this any better um keep going hi okay this yeah. is live testing on air it feels it's, real doesn't it it's it's quite quiet but what we're going to do is going to play some music and try to okay. it out i'm going to play some music from a unambiguously non-american western Oh, sorry, uh, United States Western. I've got to start getting that right. Well, it's certainly not American at all. It's um, spreading the gospel here. Exactly, exactly. Well, we are all about that here on the Screen Bomb Show because uh, I'm going to play a song from Once Upon a Time in the Midlands. Have you seen this Shane Meadows film? Fantastic film. Uh, it's got it's got everyone in it, and Robert Carlyle, uh, I think Vic and Bob are in it as well. Um, uh, came out about two thousand and four, and here's a beautiful piece of music from it. So let's have a go at playing. Apologies for um, any crackles you've been hearing. We, we're rushing around the studio a bit today. Um, we are without our usual uh, brains. Um, you may have uh, noticed the absence of uh, a female voice. And that is because uh, Lucy Beth is not able to come along. He, she is our usually, usually our brains and uh, technical operator. So apologies. And let's have a go now at playing this track. Let's have a listen. And you'll hear it. You'll know it. I hope it's great. Oh, that is Barbecue by Wendy Renee. That was a lot shorter than we thought, didn't we? Oh, hang on, Tim. Now, 
Am I really loud now? Now you've got... Can't get enough. Can't, can't get, get it, enough of me. Can't get it right. Get Sorry, too much of me. There we are. Let's turn Let's turn Tim down a little bit more. Sorry, everyone. That was um, that was Rene, um, Barbecue Rene by... Um, sorry. Right, let's start this whole thing again. That was uh, Barbecue by Wendy Rene, and it's from the soundtrack to Once Upon a Time in the Midlands. Now, the Midlands, let's say, let's say if Once Upon a Time in the West, this is, this is my joke now, let me say it. Once Upon a Time in the West is a spaghetti western. Once oh, no. Upon a Time in the Midlands is a Spaghetti Hoops Western. Not a Spaghetti Junction. Oh, that's better. I yeah. didn't think of that. Yeah, I thought, I thought that's where you were going with this. I've walked away from a great joke. Apologies, everyone. So, um, oh. Although Shea Meadows is more of an East Midlands guy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, So I'd yeah. have to find a Nottingham pun or something. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, everyone. Please send them in. <laughs> and the reason I wanted to, to, sort of, to, to, to say that was, obviously, once upon a time... In, in the Midlands, it's it, you know it's not it's not a Western really. It, t- it does take some some tropes. It's a country and Western thing, but it's uh, it's not really Western. But once upon a time in the West is a Western, but it's set in America. But of course, it is a spaghetti Western. What is, I mean, what is what is the difference? I mean, why 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 does that class as world cinema in your mind? Do you think? Is it uh, literally just where it's filmed? The interesting thing about uh, in regard to to my thesis is that. Once Upon a Time in the West is a precedent to what to to the films that I am considering because I'm only looking at contemporary films because also because globalization and transnationality has made this explode in the last 20 25 years more or less which also coincides with the resurrection let's call of the western after dances with wolves and even mm. so the interesting thing about Once Upon a Time in the West is that it is the culmination of Sergio Leone's way and when you talk about non-US westerns normally people know um, well the spaghetti western Sergio Leone Mm. an Italian guy with Italian money producing westerns in Italy and using American stars just to promote the film and shooting them in Spain in the south of Spain but uh, once upon a time in the west has for the first time in his career a very conscious discourse about what America is or the US. See, sometimes I, I see myself. Um, the, the well, I mean, to be, to be fair, though, a lot of these things are, are kind of about the the border area and the kind of fact that nations are slightly more porous and slightly yeah, more exactly. interchangeable at that well, point. Nations are fictional in the end. Mm, um, wow, now we're getting into deep stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you ever seen a border from a satellite picture? Uh well, um, I'm, I'm sure Donald will, will, will sure, make sure I'm that sure will be Donald visible from space. I'm sure Donald is thinking about this, of course, but, but for now, let's say that we haven't. Um, so, Once Upon a Time in the West has Sergio Leone, who is an Italian filmmaker who was who went to the, to the United States on very rare occasions and very short periods of time to just, you know, close deals, uh, convince actors to play to participate in his movies but he never lived there and he didn't speak english uh, during his whole life so the discourse that he's making about the united states and the creation of the united states in once upon a time in the west is something completely mythical mm. it's something that he has just um learned from watching westerns when he was a child in rome in the 40s so the, the the creation of that film of Once Upon a Time in the West is also very strange because the story was written at the beginning by Bernardo Bertolucci, 
Darío Argento and Leone himself then was treated into a, a proper screenplay by Sergio Donati, who was one of the uh, usual collaborators of Leone. So you have these three Italian filmmakers. Huge Italian filmmakers. Huge Italian and filmmakers and very different Italian exactly, filmmakers. Yeah. So Dario Argento, people don't know. The, the horror. Is, you know, um, Suspiria. Suspiria and, and everything. And, and then, then Bernardo Bertolucci with uh, Il Conformista, Novecento, mm. the, the Last Emperor. Very sort of lush, colourful, yes. beautiful. And very slow not, things. Yeah. And then the three of them are getting together and the idea is to play like children. They were thinking, when we were children, how would we do this? How would we draw our guns and shoot? Uh, do, would we do it with the, the other hand pulling the, the, um, the hammer or, or without? This kind of thing. That was the, the mood under which the film was written. So in that final conversation that we heard between Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson, there's this idea of the end of the West. Uh, Leone has this very... Uh, outdated idea of masculinity and the West as a place in which men are men but then these businessmen are going to come and are going to destroy this uh, well mythical place in which we are the heroes mm. and we are allowed to be the heroes <laughs> but at the end of the, of the film it is uh, Jill Claudia Cardinale who is only alive and is spreading water to the workers that are building the railroad so mm. Leone through Claudia Cardinale is making this discourse about how the United States is this great mother, which is a very Italian idea, the, the idea of the mother, of the Madonna, um, can accommodate everyone, can welcome everyone that goes there to find a living. He does so, however, by using the tropes and the look and the style of the classic Western from the United States. And mm. you even have Henry Fonda, who is one of the good Westerners, even if he's subverted and now he's a supervillain. I mean, that's one of the great bits of casting, yes. isn't it? It's just this, this it's, it's like the idea of, of Tom Hanks being a serial killer. It's, it's yeah. such a... Such you a have Henry Fonda, who was um, uh, Abraham Lincoln, and mm. Tom Jode, and... Um, the, the juror number eight in in uh, right. in Twelve Angry Men, yeah. and then he turns it into a cold-blooded killer who kills children for breakfast. Uh, Fonda himself was very uncomfortable with that with that casting, and he appeared at, on the first day on set. He appeared with a goatee and some uh, lenses, some eye um, contact lenses that made his eyes brown instead of blue. And Leone went mad and said, no, 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 I want the blue eyes. Mm. And that's how he's subverting the whole film. You have Jason Roberts, who is American, playing a Mexican guy. You have Claudia Cardinale, who is Italian, playing an American woman. Uh, you have uh, Gabriel Fersetti, who is Italian as well, playing this American businessman. It's... All of it starts being, being subverted, it starts being played with in a very conscious way. And that's the innovation that Once Upon a Time in the West brings about. But it doesn't go as far as other films have mm -hmm. because it still depends on the guns, on the hats, on the horses and on this music that we heard, uh, the trumpet and everything. Oh, and let's talk about the music a minute because I do want to play something. Ennio Morricone, of course. I of mean, course. I, I believe in this case, I don't know if it was this one where the music was composed before 
the film and it was yes. actually played on set yes it's exactly. not the way around it is something that leone always wanted to do in his films in the in his spaghetti westerns compose the music first and then play the film but because of the constraints in budget he hadn't been able to do it at the beginning, in the first one, in A Fistful of Dollars, he told Morricone to plagiarize without noticing. <laughs> <laughs> so just, you know, take this... Great artist still. Yes. Get, take this soundtrack and tweak it just enough. So he had heard uh, the music in Rio Bravo and in the Alamo. The, in Rio Bravo, they played when, when they had John Wayne and the rest of the characters sieged in the jail. They play this music called the Deguello, the Cutthroat, which was apparently a song by trumpet that the Mexican soldiers played to the defenders of the Alamo during the, the Texan-Mexican uh, War. So he liked the tone of the music and, and he wanted it in his film. And that's how the first dual song on A Fistful of Dollars became. And then Morricone was just playing over and over again through that same trope, the trumpet meaning death. When the trumpet sounds, it means that someone's going to die. And that's why in the clip that you have played at the beginning, which is called, the music is called Like a Judgment, and it portrays uh, Henry Fonda riding a white horse like death in the apocalypse yeah. with his black suit very slowly riding to face Charles Bronson and then someone is going to die. Fantastic. Oh, well, let's play some of it. Ennio Morricone, of course, anyone who, who listens to any film soundtracks will have heard him. Um, genius. I was reading about him recently that um, he was he was sent to... He, well, he, he went to... He applied to the Conservatoire, I think, in... in I'm not sure who he was, uh, in, the, in the 40s, when he was like 12 years old or something. Uh, and he got in uh, to study music and it was like a four-year course and he... He graduated six months later, and he hasn't really looked back. He's just been, you know, a genius. Yeah, um, he, he um, became involved with this experimental uh, group of musicians. But you know, money's money, so he had to make a living. To make a living, and he went on to to compose music for the Italian film industry. And he actually was a schoolmate when they were children for for from Leone. They lost contact for a few years and then they reunited for the films. Well, let's be very grateful that they did and let's hear the final duel from Once Upon a Time in the West. I mean, if you're not, if you're not looking for, you know, put, to put your boots on a table and put a hat on after listening to that, there's no hope for you. I think that is, that is kind of the Western in, in kind of oral, in, in, in musical form. Really, it isn't makes it? your heart... Just beat so fast oh, uh, while, while you're actually watching the the film. They, they were genius. They were just they they would make nothing because nothing is happening here. You just have two guys looking at each other, and then by using the music and by using the editing, they are making you being so anxious to see what will happen. Well, I mean, the the opening. The opening, what ten minutes of that film is just a masterclass of that, isn't it? When they're yes. waiting for the train. Uh, you know, Jason Robards Avenue and the fly and everything. Yeah, it's it's uh, he's using also um, Jack Elam, who is the, this this um, guy with the weird eye from from many many. Uh, yeah. he was a secondary actor in many many westerns. And then um, I'm blanking on the name uh, of the, yeah. the the black actor that mm. used to work a lot with um, John Ford, and then That's another one. But he's basically killing the western. Yeah, killing the western. 
Yeah, right at the beginning. Fantastic. Oh, I'm feeling quite excited. We're going to give you a, a reading list for today. But, but you know, so we've talked about uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is, you know, as you say, like a kind of uh, a European take on the Western, or perhaps, you know, you could say it's one of these, you know, the first examples of, of, of people growing up with films and then taking them and doing something else with them. But, you know, it's still set in America it's got all that with stuff. American money because yeah. Paramount was co-producing and, and, and you know it's still you know, recognisably a western what would you suggest us for us to look at where that really isn't anything that's not set in America for example I would go since we are talking about Leone so we can make the chain I would go for a Korean film from 2007 called The Good, The Bad and The Weird the good, the bad, and the weird. I'm sure that the name rings a bell. Yes, the, certainly the first part of it. Uh, the first part of it. Yeah. So, so is is it related to the good, bad, and the ugly? It's a remake of the good, and the, the, the bad, and the ugly, but it's produced in South Korea and it's it's set in Manchuria during the 1930s when the Japanese Imperial Army was invading uh, Manchuria, and therefore there was this. They create this sense of the frontier space because well you have a, a, a foreign occupation but the foreign occupation is not complete because there is a resistance because there's uh, bandits free grazing on on the chaos and everything and you have three characters who correspond to the three characters in in the good the bad and the ugly you have a a bounty hunter who is supposedly the good but you know how you know how it works they are never good exactly you have the bad, who is a very cruel bandit, and then you have the weird, which is a, who is a very weird character, as the title say. Uh, I don't know if he's ugly, but he's certainly weird. <laughs> he behaves in a very, in a very weird way, and mm-hmm. they are look, or they are all looking for a treasure. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting how they use the iconography. This is very parodic. They are still dependent on the iconography. If you look at the character of the good in this film, uh, he's basically Clint Eastwood. He dresses with a long coat. He has a hat, and his weapons are a revolver and a Winchester. But then the bad wears this stylish haircut, which is more... You know, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people in the 1930s in Manchuria did not have that haircut. <laughs> it's more of a Tokyo Hotel her kind of haircut. And then he wears this stylish uh, shirt with this uh, leather black jacket, and he uh, moves in this way. Uh, it's not as menacing as Lee Van Cleef. He's not imitating Lee Van Cleef. He's just making his own style yeah. of of stylish as understood probably in Korean, in the Korean film industry. And if you see other things such as Old Boy or Lady Vengeance or this kind of uh, fantastic Korean films that have been going on for the last 20 years, it has a lot to do with that. And then the weird is just some very... The character is all over the place. Uh, He has two semi-automatic guns which have nothing to do with the West. Uh, He wears... Mm, he was a very, a very, I th- I'd say traditional costume. I don't know exactly because my knowledge of Korean culture and Korean uh, subtext is obviously very, very, very limited, mm. if not non-existent. So don't don't say that in your viva. That's my advice uh, if you're studying world cinema. Well, I'll just I'll just quote uh, Socrates. 
I'll say that all, all I know is that I know nothing. Well, that, Tim, that's going to be my motto from now on. Yeah. yeah don't quote this in your, don't say this in your no, viola. all I know is that I know nothing. All I know. And, but, and, uh, but and you if have you to put pres- the name Socrates exactly. next to it, then yeah. it sounds like, like... Yeah, you can't just say Taylor Swift said, because um, that's yeah. not quite as impressive. Not that I've got anything against Taylor Smith. Swift, let's get that clear. It okay. would be interesting to call Taylor Swift a PhD viola, wouldn't it? It I'm, you know, I'm up for, you know, you can study anything these days, um, as evidenced by the fact that you've managed so to swing doing, a Western. I managed to do in world cinema Westerns. Yeah. Yeah, Someone let me. <laughs> no, that's a good way. So, 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 so this from The Good, Band, The Weird. It, so it, we've obviously got the, the framework. Is it, is it just a, a, a spoof? Is it a mockery? Or does it add something? Is, is there something different about it being, uh, being I think it's a kind of a mockery and it has... It's a parody. They they are playing with the tropes. They are exaggerating the tropes in order. It's a very also, uh, it's a very post-colonial strategy uh, that followed by East Asian cinema in general. Uh, films made in Hong Kong, in Korea, in Japan. They all follow this strategy of playing with the with the Western tropes in order to accommodate them, but also to well make fun of them. And the moment in you in which you make fun of a norm, it stops being a norm. The seriousness of the norm, mm. which was very very serious and very uh, transcendent in Once Upon a Time in the West, for mm. example, but also in the previous John Ford movies, it stops being that, and it's just something to laugh about. And this, the film is very much like that. It, it has amazingly made action sequences, and a lot of humor that I not I cannot really catch because it is Korean humor, but mm. I understand that they are making jokes and, they, and I understand that a Korean audience will probably laugh at those jokes. So it is a first step into twisting what the Western is and into considering what world cinema Westerns might be doing. There is a fantastic scene in which all of the there's five factions there's a moment in which you don't understand very well what's going on. You just know that they are hunting the treasure. But in one place of the Manchurian desert, all of the factions that are pursuing the treasure come together. So you have the good, who is going on his own, trying to catch the bad. And then you have the weir, who's got the lead. And he's in, a, in one of these motorbikes with sidecars uh, driving through the desert. And then you have the Japanese army. And then you have a weird group of bandits that I still don't know what they are doing there. <laughs> They're just explaining the plot of the film. In every scene that they are, they say, what's going on? I cannot understand. And then there's one explaining what <laughs> the, where the film is in that mo- at that moment. So all of them get together with a piece of music that I'm sure we'll listen to it very what? shortly. You mean... Something a little like this. A little like this. Sorry, it's, it's, I just, I'm going to get caught. The, the track itself is ten and a half minutes long, so if I, if I didn't, if you don't stop me, I will play the whole thing. It's uh, Santa. I, I played to to study, so yeah, <laughs> I, I completely understand you. The track but is "Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood" and um, from well, from the good, the bad, and the weird. The good, the bad, and the weird. And while you are hearing this track, you see the good riding a horse in front of the Japanese of a regiment of the Japanese Imperial Army and he turns the horse back and charges against the regiment by himself with his Winchester la- rifle shooting um, and that is so unbelievable and so epic and so well done so that the film is fun that 
it just doesn't matter that the film doesn't make any sense <laughs> because you're just having so much fun with the tropes. The good would never do that. Clint Eastwood would, would never do that because Clint Eastwood is smart and he knows that that is not a smart thing to do. But this guy just doesn't care and he rides into the into the regiment and obviously succeeds and, and kills half the oh, regiment with his Winchester spoiler rifle. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, it's not the final scene. <laughs> okay. Usually the final scene is a triangular duel. Oh, we go back to that. Exactly. The, the, the all-time But it's also very interesting, standoff. the choice of the music. Uh, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood is a song that has a long uh, journey. It started mm. as an Ina Simone song. And then there's a version by The Animals, mm-hmm. uh, which is my favorite. But then this uh, group called Santa Esmeralda, which is a Mexican Mexican-American group. I think it's, they must be like... You mean Mexican-United States Mexican group? Mexican-United States Otherwise, group. you're being uh, tautologist. A, a redundancy because Mexico is in America. Exactly. Um, gosh, this, this is... Honestly, this is like a lecture, this. You're getting, you're getting all this free education I don't know if here. That, I don't know if that is good or is bad or is weird. <laughs> Very good. Sorry, so Santa Esmeralda. Yeah, so Santa Esmeralda does that. And then Tarantino uses it in the duel between the bride and uh, Oren Ishii in Kill Bill Volume 1. Let's have another little bit of it. You're absolutely right. I'd strongly recommend listening to the full the full 10 the minutes full of that. 10 minutes. fantastic and with the letter because in uh, in both films they don't they don't with the lyrics sorry in both films they don't play the lyrics but it, it has lyrics and they are super fun to, to listen to so it, it ends up being the soundtrack to this tremendous scene very parodic and um, very playful and that subverse the western very very much fantastic oh I'm, I'm going to play a little bit more Santa Esmeralda for you now. Uh, do keep tweeting in at Screen Brum. Let us know what you think. Let us know um, if you have any questions for Luis, because you know he has seen more westerns than than Clint Eastwood has had flinty looks. I would say. Um, so if you have any questions for Luis, do tweet in at Screen Brum. We're talking about hundreds here, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we'll have a little bit more Santa Esmeralda. Why not? Please don't let any of us be misunderstood. That is, don't let me be misunderstood by Santa Esmeralda from here on Brum Radio. Hello, everyone. We're here. We're talking about, well, what are we talking about? I'm still not 100% sure. We're talking about non-West Westerns, or are they? World Cinema Westerns. World Cinema Westerns. It's it's a very nice uh, label to put to it and a very nice tag. Um, We have had tweets in. Thank you very much for your tweets. One of the tweets in for today um, from Peter Sharples. Has tweeted in one of his, um, uh, pr- uh, uh, sorry, his favourite non-Western westerns, Wilson westerns is. And I'm going to try and pronounce this: Sukiyaki Western Django. That's pretty good, and uh, and that is a very interesting film in relation to the previous one because um, it was made in Japan by Takashi Miike in 2008. So it's no, we all know Takashi. Well, many people will know Takashi Miike as extremely extreme. <laughs> yes, say. and this is extremely extremely fun film. Uh, but it's also very interesting. The, the mood is the same as the good, the bad, and the weird. They are just they they are the film is not set anywhere in particular. It's just set in a very mythical but playfully mythical feudal Japan, uh, and you have the the fistful of dollars or Django um, 
topic or plot. You mm -hmm. have a strange person that arrives to a town in which there are two factions and he plays between the factions in order to finally kill them all. It's basically um, that. But what it's interesting about this film is that it's, it's the final version of a very long journey. The journey starts in 1929 in New York with Dashiell Hammett. Uh, Dashiell Hammett, who wrote The Maltese Falcon, mm. uh, writes a, a novel called Red Harvest. And in Red Harvest, you have a private detective whose name is never told that goes to a very artificial kind of Las Vegas town in which there are two rival gangs, and he moves and navigates both gangs in order to destroy them both. This is a film as well, isn't it? Red Harvest, am I imagining this? Um, or am I thinking of Blue Harvest, which was the original name for Star Wars? There we go. If there is a film that is not a Western, I don't know it. But <laughs> I would be very interesting to watch. Okay. So the next step is in Japan in 1961 with a mister called Akira Kurosawa. He does a film called Yojimbo, in which he takes the plot of um, Hamed's novel, and then he takes the influences of filmmakers such as John Ford and Howard Hawks who were doing very classic westerns and he comes up with this amazing film about a Ronin that goes into a town in which two rival gangs are fighting each other with Toshiro Mifune playing the Ronin and then there's this Italian director who have been already mentioned here Sergio Leone who likes the film and basically prejudices the film um, I don't say that the court said that <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can't afford uh, to be sued by the uh, state of he Sergio copied, He copied the plot and he copied many of the style, thinking in a very Mediterranean way, eh, what's going to happen? It's just a film for Italian audiences, but the film becomes a bomb, becomes uh, something that he could never understood, becomes the most successful box office film in Italian history at the time and are very successful in Europe. So the film comes to Akira Kurosawa, and Akira Kurosawa writes a letter to Sergio Leone in the, saying, Dear Sergio, I have seen your film, and I think it's a very fine film. However, it is my film. <laughs> so therefore, if you don't pay uh, the rights, I will sue you. And Leone, who was a guy, apparently, with a very strong... Very, very fragile, but very strong ego at the same time. Oh, that, that lot. Yeah. <laughs> They're always a great person to deal with, aren't they? Yes. So he goes around showing the letter to everyone, saying, Akira Kurosawa likes my film. <laughs> and the lawyers would run after him, saying, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> Finally, the court deemed that uh, he had to pay Kurosawa for the rights, and he didn't, saw it, he didn't see a dime from, from the film. Wow. The He's done more right for himself in other films, I suppose. But Yeah, that, that one, which is actually why he called for a few dollars more the f next film, because the producers kept all the money for themselves. <laughs> but it was a joke against them. That's very good. I never knew that. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Christopher Freling tells all that in, in a very thick book about Sergio Leone. So the next step is 1966, Another Italian film call, uh, filmmaker called Sergio, this time Sergio Corbucci, makes Django. And we are getting close now to, to Sukiyaki Western Django. He makes Django, which is the story of a fistful of dollars, but just tweaked enough to not breach any kind of copyright uh, issues. It, he learned a good lesson from, from Leone himself. Yeah. And you have Franco Nero playing the same character, the mysterious guy that goes into a town and plays with two rival gangs in order to increase his own benefit. 
and it has one of the best uh, beginnings in film history to me, which is just seeing the guy in a long blue coat carrying, dragging a coffin throughout mm. the desert. That's it's so powerful mm. to me. And f later on, we find out what's in the coffin. The next step is back to the U.S. and back to the bootlegger's time because Walter Hill, in 1996, does a film called The Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis, Christopher Walken, and Bruce Dern. And it is the same story all over again of the mysterious guy, which is Bruce Willis, that arrives into town with a car instead of a horse and plays two rival guns between them. And at that point the weight of the influences is just huge because you have the original Dashiell Hammett novel with the hats and the cars and the bootlegging and, and all that in the US. But then you have the story of Eugene was developed by Kurosawa. But then you have Walter Hill quoting Leone all over, over and over again. But then you have the subtext of Bruce Willis, a star persona, killing people, uh, you know, diehard style. And then it's Walter Hill playing with all that to make this very, very fun movie that doesn't make much sense as the good, the bad, and the weird, but it's very pleasurable to watch. And finally, the story gets back to Japan through Takashi Miike. And at, at that point, it, it's just a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. You just cannot recognize the original if there ever was an original. Mm -hmm. So... The film is indebted to the Western, but it's also indebted to Kurosawa. It's just a trace of influence, which is so complicated. And, and to complicate things even more, Quentin Tarantino makes an introduction to the film, acting. As, yeah. And he proves once again that liking acting and actually being able to act are two different things. Yes, uh, <laughs> we cannot deny his... his uh his early attempts to be a, 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 an actor. Oh, so as Pete says in the, in the tweet, it's utterly bonkers, but thinking about all... Mm. The, this is postmodernism at its best. Thinking about all the influences that are conflating in the same film is just dizzying. <laughs> you know, because you don't know where it comes from. It comes from so many different places from all over the world that you cannot just trace one origin. To what extent do you think the filmmakers are consciously copying and how much, how much of it is just in their toolbox? You know, are they going to go and make a Western? Are they Are going to go be influenced by the films that they've seen? And do they go out... Do you think these filmmakers... I mean, different from filmmaker to filmmaker, but do you think they go out of their way to... Uh, to I, I want to do it like Leone did in this. I want to do it like Kurosawa did it in that. Or do you think it's just a, sub, a subconscious thing? I think there's, there, there's probably a mixture of both in the sense that they cannot escape what they have seen or they cannot escape what has been massively influential in terms of uh, film history. But uh, in another way, he, they, they probably want to do it. Talking about authorship is very is always very complicated because you don't know until what extent a filmmaker is the author of his film. And it's maybe the, the editor of the film that's making the decisions or or it's, he's conscious about what he's doing, or maybe he's not conscious about what he's doing. It's always very, very complicated. Walter Hill, for example, he wants to be the next Sam Peckinpah, so he probably is conscious of what he's doing. He's just probably not being successful at, at being the, the next Sam Peckinpah. Sam Peckinpah is, is actually a person I wanted to bring up in all this, because yeah. obviously Sam Peckinpah, as many people know, you know, makes a lot of 
you know, made a huge amount of westerns. Um, it got me thinking about another idea, though, because one of one of Sam Peckinpah's perhaps most brutal films is Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which is a fascinating. It film. is, it's, and it's horrible, isn't it? But and it's, it's a western. It is. Well, this is my question. It's a western, but it's contemporary. You know, one of the if you, if you watch the trailer of it, you know, one of the first things that happens is, you know, the the the, the bounty hunter is sent out to catch. Uh, Alfredo Garcia and the and the the big evil boss says, "Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia," and then he shows him a photograph, and you're like, "Oh, that's weird. I'm not used to that." And then they're getting cars, and it's all. So, what me thinking is this idea of of um, of Western as being something that exists, not in the you know we we think of it as being you know the 19th century, we think of it as being you know that kind of horse. It doesn't have to be existing in the same time frame. And the other thing that that, that struck me when you when you mentioned earlier on of the weird from the good, the bad, and the weird. Charging at the uh, the um, Japanese Imperial Army with Justice Winchester was thinking it's, about it's the a scene. Horse against trucks. Exactly, but in in Game of Thrones recently, one of the most famous battle scenes they did there has you know our, our hero standing and all of the things charging towards him, and that was a very Western image. You know, he was had even all the bus drum. That, that completely different uh, purpose, which was epic mm. instead of playful, as mm. in the Good, the Bad, and the Weird. But but the idea that you know the Western existing in this kind of time frame, um, we realise well they're not really, are they? They can be not necessarily. No, they I can mean, be anywhere, any when. Yeah, you, you, we can talk, for example, about a very to, to go to another place of the world because it's also important to visit different places on the of the world in which mm-hmm. this is being made. There is a film called Faroeste Caboclo. I don't know how you pronounce that correctly in Brazilian. It's a, a Brazilian film, and it's mm, set in Brasilia in the 1980s, which is not a time for uh, probably a Western. But it it is a Western because it, once again, set, the same way as Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, portrays a frontier space. In this case, the frontier is the drug trafficking in Brasilia in the 1980s and how the posh white part of Brasilia interacts with the black outskirts part of Brasilia uh, of Brasilia that is smuggling the drugs into into it which is a very interesting thing to do and a very interesting thing to watch in the context of what Brazil is now of, of what's happening in Brazil now who is the president of Brazil now and uh, the differences mm. economical, racial between the white population and the black population. Now, this can be done in many ways. This can be done through a comedy. This can be done through a melodrama. This can be done through a gangster film, such as City of God, for example, which in some ways can be read as a Western as well. Mm. But it is made quoting the style of the Western. It is made with this protagonist black character and then this the, the antagonist is a white, rich character, and their differences are resolved through a duel mm. that is very, very, very Western. And the whole, again, it doesn't look like a Western, it doesn't sound like a Western, but it definitely feels like a Western, especially after finishing the film. Fantastic. I'm I'm conscious that we have a lot to get through, um, and we have got a man with no name has just walked into the studio. Oh, that is his name, actually, <laughs> the man with no name. Yes, yeah, so where we're going to be. Your guns. We're going to be. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope that it doesn't become. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I feel like I should stop playing the piano suddenly in turn. Um, so we're going to play a bit of music and we're going to introduce uh, another guest who's, who's coming in to tell us about something interesting here in the city. I wanted to play you, um, well, there's many, many tracks to, to, to choose from, from uh, this particular composer, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more. But what I'm going to play now is uh, the Rider song, um, Nick Cave Moore and Ellis soundtrack to The Proposition, which is an Australian Western, um, and I'm sure we may well talk about that more in a little bit. Let's just uh, listen to this, it's great. Lovely, of course, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis' soundtrack to The Proposition now. As we said before, the, uh, the honky-tonk piano player has stopped playing. The saloon girls have turned to look because uh, two mysterious strangers have walked into the bar uh, and they are, uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what I'm talking about here. Um, we've got two extra people in the studio. Hello, would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, so, uh, so it's Carl uh, Timms and Daniel Alexander. And Carl, you have been a guest here on Screen Brum before. You were a filmmaker and you have made, um, which I would argue could, could count as a Western, is uh, still... You know that has some. You know, it, yeah, well, you know, it's uh, there's no there's no order. Order is broken down. Um, if you haven't seen still, I recommend it. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's got isn't a it? showdown. Yeah, it's got a showdown. Uh, he's got a hat on, hasn't he? He has. He has. Yeah. So um, if you haven't seen it, that is a uh, available on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm doing all your work for you here <laughs> promoting this. You know what? I'm sure I can, you know, turn something into a western. You know, I've filmed a horse or two in my time. There you go. And <laughs> sorry, and, and tell us a little about yourselves. And um, so I'm a filmmaker as well from Birmingham. Um, no westerns under my belt as of yet, um, but I do a lot of um, commercial directing, um, narrative film, and really trying to push in towards um, feature film directing at the moment. Fantastic. So you're here. For what reason? You're just fans of Westerns, or are you, you've got something to tell us about, haven't you? Uh, yeah, so um, we are, um, again, this year, uh, launching uh, Two Weeks to Make It, so the music video competition, which I, I think I was on the show a couple of years back uh, to sort of talk about that. But uh, it's had a couple of years off uh, when I got married, and Daniel and I are bringing it back uh, with Screen Central this year. And uh, that kicks off in May. So, so Daniel, what is this? So this is an opportunity for um, filmmakers and musicians to come together um, and express their creativity and create an awesome project at the end of it, we hope. So it brings um, filmmakers who want to create um, an original music video, artists who may not have a music video out already or potentially just want to you know, add to their roster. And we create this awesome event where we give them two weeks to collaborate and make something original. Fantastic. So, so if I'm a, a, I don't need to be a filmmaker. I could be a musician, an yeah. artist, and, and anyone can get involved. Is that right? It's yeah. It's open to anyone. So how do I how do I how do I get into it? Where do I do it? So um, we're we're launching a, a new website um, which should be live hopefully by the end of the day um, and uh, promo video with that. Uh, the application forms will be will be on there. Um, so the um, the kickoff date is going to be May seventeenth. So um, we're we're locking off applications for May the tenth, um, but the applications will be taken from from today. Uh, and then the May the 17th is the launch event and that's when they get paired up and uh, have their sort of two weeks to make the video. So the idea is is that you're kind of, it's a kind of Tinder for 
for artists, right? You're, 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 that's you're, one way of putting it. It's an interesting way of putting it. So you're, uh, I'm trying to get down with the kids there. Tinder, that's, that's, like, that's like MySpace, isn't it? Um, that's what my daughter tells me. No, um, so, so, you, you, so you, you don't, you're not asking people who are a whole already a unit. You're actually introducing artists and filmmakers yeah, so, so the idea is that um, the, the music artist and the film teams um, basically enter the competition. They are drawn out of a hat. So, so anyone could get drawn with any kind of genre. Any kind of artist might get any kind of filmmaker. But um, the idea is that they then collaborate and it teaches you the skills of collaborating with an artist to produce a, uh, a video, which obviously is a, an important marketing tool for any artist these days, and a really great um, thing to get under the belt of a filmmaker as well. So oh, Sounds fantastic. And so you mentioned a website... Um, is not yet available, but we'll be seeing what, what yeah, is so that? We've got, um, there is a Facebook group, um, which is uh, two weeks to make it mids, um, and that's the number two, so, no, so the number two weeks and two make it mids uh, and we're on Twitter although I've just been locked out of that so, uh, so good luck I'm getting, trying to get back into that one what have you done <laughs> don't ask um, and uh, yeah the website will be uh, just two weeks to make it .co.uk uh, the competitions actually run um, in Sheffield uh, ten times and they are this year also doing a new one in Harrogate uh, so for the kind of um, West Yorkshire region so it's a growing thing and we're, we're really glad to be part of it uh, and who is there a judge then you're saying it's a competition is there a how do we judge these things? That's a crazy So, yeah, so we will have um, some guest judges. So it's yet to be announced, but we're going to have some professionals, some industry professionals, to so just add to the weight of the actual mm. competition as well. So people that um, you know are perfect to network. So everybody that's involved in a competition, it's people that will have produced work that they should potentially have heard of. Fantastic. And is there an opportunity at the end of it all, are you going to have a showing of the films? Is there an opportunity for people to see them? Uh, we will, yep. So there's a, there's a screening event, uh, and that's where the prizes are handed out as well. So there, there are prizes on offer um, for both the filmmakers and the, the musical artists. So uh, studio time, um, the kit hire and studios to film in and all sorts of stuff like that on offer. Uh, we've got a load of great sponsors that we're going to be announcing over the next few weeks. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're trying to make it bigger this year as well by on the 17th having a, a masterclass afternoon as well. So we're going to be getting in um, professionals from the music industry and filmmakers uh, who are experienced with music videos to run a bunch of uh, seminars for um, for both sectors basically so uh, yeah I have a confession to make I did this back in 2011 right uh, well, for one of my former bands which I wasn't in for very long I, what I'll do is um, I'll play the video a bit of it whilst we when we have our first music break and you can have a laugh um, it was it was an interesting experience actually really good fun um, uh, yeah I will show you the video it sounds yeah. like a fascinating, uh, yeah, like you said, an opportunity for for people that you know would never normally meet. I'm quite interested in the idea of you know accidentally getting you know um, Merchant Ivory making a, a heavy metal video or something That's like I that. That's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah. be part of actually. Yeah. <laughs> and last when we ran it in 2017, we had some fantastic collaborations like that where. Um, when you looked at them, you thought, "Oh, I'm not so sure about this one." But, but actually, the video quality uh, that came back was was amazing. Uh, we have actually got a YouTube channel as well. So if you search for um, for two weeks to make it, um, there is a YouTube channel that has uh, all the videos that have been made over the various competitions over the years in in the Midlands and uh, between us and Sheffield. There's over 200 videos that have been produced in in the last 15 years. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a wealth of creativity. That sounds absolutely amazing. I'm quite excited to hear about all that. There is so much stuff going on in this city and in this region in general. So we're so excited to have you in. So thank you very much for, for coming in to talk about that. Before you do leave us, though, I do want to ask you, as professional 
um, well, as uh, as filmmakers, um, westerns. Now we're talking about world cinema westerns here. We've we've touched on um, Once Upon a Time in the Midlands, which I don't know if any of you've seen, I'd strongly recommend. Shrewd Meadows, but do you have any any favourite westerns? Here we are. I'm just going to put you on the spot there. Um, do you like westerns? <laughs> Daniel's got a face on his eye. Do you know what? I can appreciate them. I can appreciate them. But um, that's yeah. a very polite answer. Yeah, that's a polite answer. <laughs> no, no, do you know what? I appreciate all film. Um, westerns is is not necessarily one of the genres that are up there for me. I mean, I would have said exactly the same thing yeah. um, an hour and a half ago. Oh, um, really? Wow. Um, but Louisa has been talking a lot about you know the thing about the western. I think is, is we all know is it's kind of like this kind of archetypal American individualist almost you know you know you can just imagine it being a lot of these kind of right-wing americans favorite genre it's the rugged individual against the savage all of that kind of stuff um but of course a lot of it you know that may be how it began but a lot of it now is very much a kind of commentary on that and a kind of you know a kind of critique of that and i think you know perhaps we often look at those tropes and think oh yeah you know, the man walks into town and, and it's really sexist and racist and horrible. You know, I'm Luis, I'm sure I'm going to get some support from you on this one. They're not, they're not all like that. Certainly. It, it can be a comment and at some point it can't be even detached from the original mm. um, reference. It can be just using the, the Western as a genre in order to make a film that might be from Indonesia. You have a feminist neo-western in Indonesia, actually. Do you? What's it called? Uh, it's called Marlena the Murderer in Four Acts. And it's, I saw it in the Flatpak Festival uh, last year, and it was a, it's a fantastic film. And it doesn't necessarily have to comment on the American West. It mm. can be just an, a comment on Indonesian um, social and political context. Mm. So it's, it's starting to bloom. Well, I think one one, one possible benefit from a no deal Brexit is we'll have Wild West. Uh, we'll have a Wild West reality here quite soon. <laughs> we'll be able to, you know, once upon a time in Dover, uh, you know, the the brave guy trying to get through the tunnel without trying to get through the customs. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. French and, customs. And Carl, anything you'd like to? Any any films you you'd shout? Yeah, for? if we're talking non-US ones, uh, I mean, I've, I've always been a big fan of the spaghetti western stuff. So, so I think um, yeah, the uh, the obvious Sergio Leone's, but I, I really like the, the the kind of gritty stuff like Django and and the kind of really exploitation stuff. Um, I, I'm the things I as a kid I didn't realise as well where the western kind of came from and the fact that it's really kind of samurai cinema you know? mm. and uh, that all made sense as I got older because I, I love samurai films and so so I guess I kind of really like the stuff that kind of almost predates the western and, and that convention of the standoff and mm. showdown and, and all that kind of thing um, but I think actually if I was going to flag one that I saw recently um, I would class it as a western I don't know how you feel but um, I saw for the first time recently Tarsen Sings The Fall um, and oh, that, yeah. um, I mean, apart from being one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen, I mean, it's an, an exceptional piece of art. Um, it is is at its heart, it's a western. It's being told. It's a story being told by a, an injured stuntman who um, is talking to this uh, little girl and basically trying to persuade her to, uh, to to go and get sort of medication for him, um, to steal medication for him, so he can uh, ease the pain of uh, you know the injuries he's had. And uh, and he's weaving this tale to her, and then you see basically through her imagination what he's describing um, and I think what he's telling is actually a traditional western but what you see is this kind of mad fantastical uh, crazy costume beautiful mm. over the world it's incredibly thing. bright coloured and sumptuous yeah. isn't it yeah absolutely amazing 
So, so I would something that I'm going to have to to watch. So yeah, this yeah. is this yeah. is it's a terrific, <laughs> terrific film. And um, yeah, I, I, that's uh, so I, I think that is that I would definitely class that as a western. It's certainly got western convention. Isn't it? Mm. Uh, it was a great, yeah, great experience. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we're going to be talking a bit, lots more westerns, and we would very much welcome uh, tweets from you uh, at home. So at Screen Brum, you can tweet us. Um, we are going to say goodbye to Carl and Daniel in a moment and play some some more music as we've got a lot to get through. But I do want to say thanks a lot for coming in. And um, once again, can you remind people just how they would find out about two two weeks to make it. Yeah, so so the website will be the best the best place. That's two weeks to make it. Dot co. dot uk. Is that the uh, number com. two? Uh, yeah, yes. so it's number yeah. two weeks. Number two, make it. I'll, be, I'll, I'll correct what I just sent out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, if you search for two weeks to make it on uh, um, on YouTube as well, you'll get to see the actual videos that were created, um, the winners from last time, and uh, and there were some. I think last year was the strongest I've ever seen. Uh, it was an exceptional um, turnout of videos, and Daniel was actually a judge yeah, for really the competition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, very much looking forward to that. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, you, I'm also going to play you out with your very own cowboy soundtrack. Um, and this is one you've chosen. Um, we have had Ennio Morricone before, already on the show, but let's face it, if you're talking westerns, you could just play... Well, if you're talking any film soundtracks for the last 80 years, odd, just Ennio Morricone. So I'm not going to apologise for it. This is one you selected the big gun down. And I'll only do- one of us will be alive after the music. Is- maybe, maybe. Or it could be it could be a Reservoir Dogs situation. <laughs> who who killed Carl? All of us. <laughs> yes. um, anyway, let's hope it doesn't get to that. <laughs> Daniel, who's not been in the studio before, is looking quite frightened at this point. I know, I know. I'm looking around. Yeah, he's, he's going to have to make an escape. <laughs> um, so let's play uh, The Big Gun Down by Ennio Morricone, and we'll be back after this. Wake Whoops, excuse me. That was not that. That was something else. This is The Big Gun Down. Uh, now I've been told off. I've been told off by Carl. He said that's the wrong one. That's the wrong track. He said that I've, I came only in to see this other thing. So it's a tough call. I'm afraid that's what you're going to get. But I'm going to play you something that uh, you might have appreciated. Now this is a, this is a western, or is it? Has anyone seen this? Um, the Bad Batch. Um, it's it's a bonkers um, western, and it's got Keanu Reeves in it. And this is what Keanu Reeves says in the film. If you want to hear Keanu Reeves being very un-Keanu, there we have it. Uh, this here is the bad just... <laughs> batch uh, with the, with Keanu Reeves. Just like playing that, really. Whoa, guns! Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's um, what it sounded like to me. Cannibalism. Yeah. Um, right. So our guests have uh, have uh, had to fly off uh, and go into the world of uh, of the outside. Serious filmmakers. They have jobs. There's only one survivor now. There is. There's only, the last man standing is Luis. Yes. And uh, Luis is here talking to us about uh, westerns in particular, the kind of world cinema. So we've talked a little bit about. Um, the kind of maybe the, the European view of America. We've talked about um, people taking the, the kind of visuals of a, of the tropes of a Western um, and in, in, in Korea. We've talked about Westerns out of time. So we've, we've talked about so any what, what would you like to, to talk about next, Luis? Um, we can talk about Nick Cave if you want. Let's talk about Nick Cave. Lucy um, Beth, if you're listening out there, we are going to talk about Nick Cave. Now, Nick Cave... Well, exactly, because... We have been talking about Ennio Morricone and how Morricone's trumpet is how what defines a Western now. But that only started being so in 1963 when Morricone made the soundtrack for A Fistful of Dollars. 
prior to that, you would have the kind of symphonical instrumental soundtracks in classic Hollywood for Westerns. So, could Nick Cave be doing a similar thing as Morricone did in his time with world cinema Westerns? Um, I, th I think if we're doing this, we need to play some, some, some Nick I Cave in the background. I'm, gonna, I'm going to play um, uh, Farewell at Tinguit. Let's just play this on. This is from the soundtrack to... Far From Men. Yeah, Luan de Homme. Now, I, I didn't even know about this film. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it's actually another film uh, set in a time that doesn't have anything to do with, with uh, the Western. It is a film set in Algeria in 1954 during the start of the war of liberation of Algeria against France as a, an, uh, a colonial empire. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a short story by, by Albert Camus and it features Viggo Mortensen as a school teacher in the uh, mountains of the Atlas in a very secluded and very isolated place that has to transport a prisoner to the city of Tenguit which is the, the capital, let's say, of, of the province in which they are. It is a very Western plot. Uh, it reminds me of 310 to Yuma, for example, but it's based on a short story by Albert Camus, uh, who died in 1960, I think, mm. or 1960-something. So the, probably Camus wasn't thinking about the Western when he wrote this story. And this is what we were talking about earlier, how a film can be detached from Americanness. Again, this United Statesness. United States. United Statesness. What was that what was the what was the Spanish term you were saying in there? Uh, the, the Spanish term in Spanish is Estadounidense. It would translate some as something like United Statesian. United Statesian. Sorry. So a word that we could include in the English dictionary. I've heard that word used in world cinema theory books, actually. Mm. Um, sorry, we're talking about the film. I'm gonna, I can't bear quieting this. I'm going to have a little bit more. He's got a little bit of whistling in there, hasn't he? Just a tiny bit of whistling. That's his Morricone reference there. So we were talking about this film. This is a French language film. French and Arab, and Viggo Mortensen, and some Spanish as well, because Viggo Mortensen plays the son of Spanish immigrants. He's born in Algeria, but his parents were from the south of Spain, and they emigrated to Algeria in order to work in the in the fields and everything. So he his character speaks French, obviously, but he also speaks Spanish because it's the language of his family, but he also speaks Arab because he his family worked in the fields with the Arab population that at the time was considered, uh, well, secondary to the to the uh, Pied-Noir, the, the French population. And the interplay between the two characters is actually a very good example of how you can use the Western. And you can use the Western because you have this frontier space, which is the Atlas Mountains, that are full of guerrillas, from the Arab populations fighting against the French soldiers. He is carrying a shotgun 
but not a shotgun as in the Western. Like it's just a hunting shotgun and a revolver, because he's also a veteran for from World War Two, and he's taking the prisoner to the town to be trialed for murder. And it's a very good way of showing how the structures of the Western can first be detached from the U.S. You, you, don't, uh, you don't think about the U.S. when, when you're watching this film mm. the way you think about the U.S. Western when you're watching The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, mm. uh, for example. And it is also, secondly, a good way to show how a film can use the Western to have a completely different meaning than the Western had. In the Western, the Native Americans were exterminated. Or the villain, in case the Native Americans were uh, made absent from the film, the villain is killed so that the state can take over. In here, the frontier space is a space where there is actually a possibility of knowing the other. There is a possibility of forging a brotherhood, a friendship between the French-Spanish character, uh, Viggo Mortensen, and the Arab character that Viggo Mortensen has to take into town to be trialed. Normally, in a Western, this would end up with a shooting between mm. both of them at the end. This does end in a different way that we will not reveal, mm -hmm. but there is a very poignant and a very beautiful effort for the understanding of the other. And all of that is made with the music of Nick Cave. Gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, and, and Nick Cave music is not something you would normally associate with kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm being, being unfair there, but you know, I always think of it as being quite confrontational. But, uh, but as you heard from that uh, farewell at Tinkwit there, very beautiful and warm. And you were saying he's he's rapidly turning into the the kind of composer you know the in kind the, of in the last 15 years competitor not competitor the sort of successor to Ennio Morricone yes uh, the first the first uh, soundtrack that he composed alongside Warren Ellis because they, they always work together when they are making soundtracks is the one from a western from another place in the world which is the proposition yeah. mm. he writes the screenplay of that movie uh, he is the actual writer of the original screenplay from that film John Hillcoat, which, who is his friend, is directing the film. And the music is made by the two of them. They made, two years after that, this is 2005, uh, two years after that, they make the soundtrack of the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. A slappy title? A slappy title. Yeah. Great film. Great film, and it's a great film in a good deal because of the soundtrack that yeah. they do. This is nothing that you have ever, ever heard before. Something completely different, completely unrelated to the Western. And somehow it is very appropriate to the tone of, of the assassination and the tone of Luan des Hommes, uh, Far From Men, which is the French film that we have just been discussing. Mm. It's appropriate because these films are not making a story about a and not justifying the, the mythical nation, uh, the, the, the mythical origin of the nation. These films are making questions about what the nation means, whether the nation is actually something worthwhile. How is it formed? Is it formed through a conquest, a justified conquest, or is, is it formed through slaughter? Uh, 
this this kind of they 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 set a mood that is shaping very very much the proposition, uh, the assassination of Jesse James, the road by John Hillcoat as well, yeah, I mean and again with Viggo Mortensen. Again, and, and the soundtrack it plays a large part in making that into a western. Exactly, really, you have Hell or High Water as well. Uh, oh, that's such that a great a film! Brilliant film. That is a brilliant film, and it's a very, a very good exploration of the frontier as understood in the post, um, post-industrialization, post-crisis US. Mm. And a British director. And, and a British director. Uh, what was the Scottish? Uh, Scottish, sorry. Yeah, even uh, yeah. Still British. Still at British. At time of recording. Still. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think one of the things you're absolutely pointing out is that now that westerns are. Um, making very pointed observations about contemporary issues. And, and, yes. and a lot of the films are actually about today as much as they are about um, maybe the, the historical context. I, I was thinking of the, the, the Far From Men because uh, I think you know, Vigo is a Viggo Mortensen was a producer on the film. He was when he was making the film. He was very pointed about this is actually about Gaza. It's about Iraq. Yeah, this is about uh, as much as it's about, about know, terrorism. War, probably about terrorism. Yeah. So it's, it's making pointed comments. Yes. about the now. And I think Nick Cave does that a lot with his films as well. You know, they're all about making observations on the now, yeah. which which is more. something that the Western has always done. The westerns of the fifties are making observations on the Cold War. And on the the witch hunt by McCarthy. Well, I mean, uh, High Noon is kind of like the kind of classic kind of McCarthy yes. era, uh, com- you know, comment on all that stuff, isn't it? And um, it is, but it's also a very interesting one because, again, that's why we cannot really tell many things about authorship, what the author wanted to tell, because maybe the author wanted to tell something, and then the people and the people, the viewers, understand it in a very different way. Mm. Carl Foreman, who is the writer of High Noon, writes the script uh, thinking about the witch hunt, about how some of the, let's say, the, the people being labeled as communist in Hollywood and being blacklisted stood alone without any kind of help from the rest of, of, uh, of the environment, of the industry. But that script has been used by people such as Eisenhower and Ronald Reagan to think, to say, well, the sheriff is America, because they would obviously say America and not the US. <laughs> the sheriff is America and nothing helps us in the world. We have to keep order and we are the tough, yeah. um, the strong silent type, like yeah. Tony Soprano says uh, about Gary Cooper. We are the strong silent type keeping order in the world. Mm-hmm. So the the readings are always very much depending on who are reading them. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, of, of that, do you think we are, we, are, we are experiencing at the moment, it feels like when we're in it, a moment of global upheaval on, on a scale we haven't seen before. And a lot of that is focused on America. And what's fascinating me is, is a lot of the footage we've seen from the news of, of, uh, of the border between the US and, the, and uh, Mexico, which is obviously at the moment a very uh, observed and um, freighted place uh, in all senses of the word, is that, um, you know, it looks like a Western. You know, we're seeing these news we're seeing We're seeing desperate people. We're seeing the American lawman. We're seeing the tough guy. Um, do you think we're going to see a new generation of films kind of addressing this? And they, again, they are already here. Mm. Uh, you have... 
first of all, you have the three burials of Melquiades Estrada, which is directed by Tommy Lee Jones, but written by Guillermo Arriaga, so it's cross-border film. Yeah. You have Sicario. Mm. Uh, and the, and the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we not talk about that one as much? No, actually, I thought it was very good. I haven't but seen I'll it. tell you why in a minute. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you have Sicario and you have the sequel of Sicario, which is also playing well, what happens in in that border. And I think that a film that actually very that's a very, very precise comment on that is Logan, the last installment of the Wolverine mm. in the Marvel superheroes. You actually have Logan is set in the border. The, the first part of Logan is set in the border between Mexico and the U.S., and the second part is a travel towards the border between Canada and the U.S. And there is an actual chase at the end of the film of private soldiers that look a lot like the Border Patrol in the U.S. Mm. chasing children and putting children into cages. Wow. And this film is from 2017. This predates one year what the news that of what actually happened, of what actually happened under, under the Trump administration. So the films about the frontier are already there. Yeah. About the border, not the front, the, the border, but the border understood as a frontier. And not on, they are not only there from the perspective of the U.S., they are also there from the perspective of Mexico. And you have a tremendous film called Sin Nombre. It is directed by Kari Joji Fukunaga. He's doing the new Bond film. Mm? He's doing the new Bond film. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And who directed the first season of True Detective. And this That's is right. actually his first feature film. And it's a film completely in Spanish about a group of people that try to cross the border from, um, I think it's Nicaragua, then traveling through Mexico and then crossing the border with the frontier space created by the Mexican gangs and the Mexican cartels. So the topic is very, very much there, and it ties what, with what Tim has just said. The, the Westerns are just commenting mm. now, but they are commenting without claiming. They are commenting by asking. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated by, you know, and I hate to bring up the, the B word, but, you know, the, 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 the last thousand days of, of Brexit shenanigans so much questioning about exactly what constitutes a state and a nation and, and autonomy and frontiers and we're, we're you know we're, we now know more about borders and what happens at borders than we ever did before or do we well <laughs> well we have certainly certainly certain some ministers have discovered that, questioning that, that ports are all <laughs> big but um you know <laughs> but you know i think you know interesting thing i think there may be some interesting film stuff coming out of that i mean one one thing that I, I i listened to a podcast yesterday and something really powerful is in this country we 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 have this myth of the or this you know one of our creation myths if you like is the island race this island state you know we, we're, we're separate you know dunkirk is the classic you know yes. um, and now we're going oh actually you know we have got a land border you know and the, and the northern Ireland border is now suddenly becoming a visual thing that we do actually have. we're not yeah. we're not separate you know there is a border and people can just drive across and walk across and it's and it's uh, it's interesting that a lot of, I, I wonder whether we're going to have an interesting kind of you know some sort of brexit west i'm, I'm sure i'm sure that we'll have i don't know if i don't know if the the genre or the style chosen to express this will be the western mm. um but certainly when when you're having i i remember perfectly November 2018 and the guy who's responsible for the negotiations about Brexit a guy that's been in Oxbridge 
is saying that he just realized that the Dover Calais Channel is very important yeah. for trade, for importing goods such as medicines. Food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, yes, there is a border. Yeah. And there is a border which actually now is not much of a border, at least for the next week. Yeah. Um, Again, I mean, we've we've been on air for an hour and a half. There's no way that that's, that date hasn't changed in that time. Yeah. Uh, so let's look back on that. <laughs> anyway, we do- there is actually a very a very interesting film to read in Brexit, a very interesting Western to read in Brexit key, um, which is one of, of the ones that I, I wanted to suggest at the beginning, but then I, I changed it by another, but it just came up now. It is a, a film called The Backwoods. It's a Spanish film from 2006, directed by a Basque, Spanish Basque director, and it features um, Gary Oldman and Paddy Considine. And it's a film set in the north of Spain in the 1970s of two guys that with the two couples, the the guys and their wives, girlfriends, depending, uh, who are Gary Oldman and Paddy Considine, that go to Spain for a vacation, because one of them, Gary Oldman, descends from one uh, lady his grandmother was from a village in the north of Spain and he speaks um, he speaks Spanish and everything Uh, Gary Oldman actually speaks Spanish in the film which is very weird to listen to Mm. is he good at it is he actually is he is he a native I cannot tell if he speaks Spanish or he's just doing phonetically that they they just told him the same way that I told you my name they told him how to how to pronounce or or what he's effectively acting it well rather than yeah yeah proficient speaker of Spanish yeah yeah um, so they go into a bar at the f- at the beginning of the film, which is, is a bar that someone in Spain recognizes as a Spanish bar. Just you have the old people from the village there, and when they enter into a bar, it's like entering in the saloon. Uh, everyone stops talking. Uh, everyone is looking at them. You have these close-ups of menacing people. And f- first, Paddy Considine, who doesn't speak Spanish, enters, and then they start making fun of him. And then Gary Oldman enters and say, well, it's not good to laugh in Spanish. It's not good to laugh about, you know, strangers, uh, about uh, foreign people and everything. And then he starts talking. So you have two British citizens, very, very uncomfortable in a European context. The film is from 2006 again, but when I watched it last Christmas... For the first time, I thought about Brexit immediately, obviously. Mm. And then it proceeds and it resembles very much the plot of a Sam Peckinpah film. Uh, which is Estrodox. It's very, very much Estrodox. It sounds absolutely terrifying already. I mean, it reminds me of, of, of uh, again, another kind of Western out of, of, of place and time. Another Shane Meadows, of course, which is Dead Men's Shoes with Paddy Considine, um, which, which has a lot of that kind of Western stuff and he's absolutely... I found it terrifying personally, but I'm easily scared, as you know. We've had a couple of tweets in uh, from B-Film. They, uh, in response to your comments about Sin Nombre, um, they called it, it's tremendous watching masculinity consume itself through violence whilst a single female escapes. Brilliant film. Yes. They've also recommended, uh, talking of borders and Western films, uh, the film Black 47, um, which uh, I don't know if you've seen. I yeah, haven't I seen, haven't. but it's on my radar. This is a recent one, isn't it? Yes, yes. an Irish Western about the Irish border, talking of uh, hot topics. Well yeah, worth seeing, they say. It's talking about the Great Famine and how, I, for what I've read in the plot, it's talking a great about the Great Famine and how 
a character that's very much like the Westerner. It's a character that has been fighting in the British Army. An Irish character comes back home only to discover that his family has been murdered. And then he starts this r roaring rampage of revenge, like uh, the bride says in Kill Bill. And it has Hugo Webin, I think. Hugo Webin is the, like the policeman that's after him. I haven't watched it yet. And I actually missed it when I when it was in the Mac, but I will certainly. It's on DVD now, I think. So I I'll, think it I'll is, yeah, quite a recent, a quite a recent release, yeah. But it's certainly very, very interesting, interesting, and probably very, con very contemporary in terms of Brexit, mm. which is all we're going to talk about for the next ten years, I think. Uh, yeah. Not careful. We've also had a tweet from uh, Thomas Gavana who came in and did some lovely photos of us. Oh, uh, yeah. Hello, ago. Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Um, he said his favourite of the non-Western Westerns <laughs> is uh, the 2010 film Tracker, uh, a New Zealand Western that sees Ray Winston play a veteran of the Boer War. So I don't know why I did that. Uh, play a veteran of the Boer War who is employed by former en enemy The Crown to track down a Maori accused of murder. That might be one for your list as well. I haven't, I haven't called, heard about this I, film. I haven't, but uh, and it sounds very fascinating. Ray Winston stars in the well, proposition. In proposition. He does, yeah. So he, he has form uh, mm. in the uh, in the Antipodean Western. He's uh, in. Genre. Um, he's <laughs> in um, Cold Mountain as well. He is. Yeah, another big sort of very unusual western. Australian westerns are really, really interesting because they are dealing with all these. Uh, issues about how the nation was built over the extermination of the aboriginals. You have, mm. you have the proposition. You have Ned Kelly uh, in 2003 with um, uh, Heath Ledger and Orlando Bloom right, and yeah. Geoffrey Rush. You have a film called The Legend of Ben Hall, which is from 2016. Uh, you have that film Tracker that I didn't know about, and then you have that's New Zealand, though, isn't it? Still similar kind of issues. Around There's another New Zealand Western, th which is actually a female-led Western called The Stolen from 2017, in which you have a, a woman that travels from England, and his husband, her husband is killed, and therefore she ha and and her children stolen, so she has to track them and. Top of the Lake that would fit into the, that sounds very. Have you seen that Top of the Lake? No, it's I haven't. A, a New Zealand TV series which sounds very similar kind of thing it's contemporary but very western the, the, like, you know New Zealand is a perfect kind of landscape for that really because when you're talking about being on the edge of the frontier it's like they're yeah. hanging off the edge that of the world with, uh, it's, it's a very similar that was with Elizabeth Moss wasn't it Elizabeth yeah, Moss yeah. It, it's a very uh, similar space to what the US to the space of the US in, in a very similar time frame mm. and a very similar racial um, conflict in there as mm. well and the, the racial conflict is superbly, I think, managed in a film called Sweet Country from 2017 that features its post-First World War. It's set in the 1920s, and you have several characters that have all this post-traumatic stress disorder from uh, World War One, but they are unleashing that by attacking the Aboriginal characters, and they actually have to run away. And there's, well, it's a quite bitter film. Um, very, very powerful and very, very. It's taking a stand, really it's taking a stand. So yeah, the the, the Australian westerns, are Australian New Zealand, the uh, oceanic westerns, let's say, are, are very, very interesting. But I wanted to c go back to Nick Cave and some as one name that we haven't mentioned, 
although we have mentioned the films that he's written, which is Taylor Sheridan. Taylor Sheridan is the screenwriter of Sicario, the, sequ the sequel of Sicario, Hell or High Water, and a film that I think is very, very interesting under this world cinema uh, context, which is Wind River. Yeah. It's directed, it's his first feature film as a director, and he's, it's also written by him. Mm. It is a film set in the the one of the Native American reservations in Wyoming. It's set uh, today, and you have a murder of a of a teenage girl, and a set of characters try to resolve the murder. It's interesting because it's the bridge between the U.S. and world cinema. It's how world cin uh, the U.S. features into world cinema because it is a film made in the U.S. by a U.S. director and that concerns itself with U.S. matters, but it's certainly world cinema in the sense that makes that attempt to understand the other by raising a... Uh, an issue that's going on in the reservations as of today in both Canada and the US which is how abandoned they are they don't raise statistics of women raped and murdered in the reservations in the US as of today so no one knows how many of them are killed every year and that's something that the film is about Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I've, I've certainly said that is a very, very powerful thing. I've seen it um, myself. And it's, um, it has that kind of um, mythic, kind of epic visual vista, which we're so used to seeing as well. This idea of, you know, just the wilderness. The mountains so really, of Wyoming. Yeah. And, and that, rem that brings me into another film I wanted to play a music for before we, we go, which is a film I didn't know anything about. Um, and I just come across, which is a uh, Austrian German yes. Western called "How Dare You." No, it's not. The track is called "How Dare You." That I'm going to play. The song is called "How Dare You." The the film is called "From the Dark Valley." I'll play the track first, uh, and then we'll have a little bit more about that. But this is a, an interesting one because it's uh, it's got Sam Riley in it, um, whom again many uh, British uh, film uh, goers will recognise. But he 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 speaks German, and he is a a German uh, character in this in this film. Anyway, let's play How Dare You because uh, it's, it's just such a great track as well so I'll play it now. And there we go. And the thing, this one, this that's uh, How Dare You by the Steaming Satellites and that's from the soundtrack to uh, From the Dark Valley. Um, I like the, the, the kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, anachronistic use of music sometimes when you get yes. music that doesn't doesn't also it isn't all the, kind of mouth organs and, and stuff. In the film, which is a very 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 interesting film, this song is used during the shootout, and it's a fantastic fantastic scene to to watch. It's a really interesting film. It's set in Austria in the in the Austrian mountains in the Alps in the Alps in around 1880, and you know, one of these towns that when the snow comes, it gets totally isolated. So there's a frontier territory for you against the frontier. And the frontier is dominated by a family of men who have uh, the, the whole village terrorized because they, and I don't know how you say this in English, but they have established this medieval right of the nobleman being 
giving primacy to sleep with the bride in oh, the yeah. wedding night. And there, and, and there is a whole, yeah, word for that. I, can't this, what it is, uh, yeah. I know the word in, in Spanish, but I, I don't know it in, in English. And then, again, a stranger whose name we don't know and whose motives we don't know at the beginning arrives into town with a camera to take pictures. It's a really interesting film because there's all the Western in there for you and there is mm, just the only tie with the U.S. Western is that the the stranger, who is Sam Riley, carries a Winchester. And my only con- my only other contact with Sam Riley has been uh, Pride, Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> so, uh, you know, watching this film is actually... Bit, the contrast yeah. between you've both films. definitely it, a contrast. You've got to watch Control. You've got to get onto yes. that. That's fantastic. Okay. He's I brilliant will. in that. But I really, I really recommend this film because of the use of this song and another song, which is... Um, Sinnerman, mm. which is originally from Nina Simone again, but mm. in the end they play they play the song in a really really interesting, interesting well, way. Have a look at that. It's 2014's uh, from the Dark Valley. We're very much uh, um, coming up against the end of the show now, and I do wanted to just say thank you for all your tweets and contributions. Really, really enjoy that. Um, and letting you know about um, a couple of tweets you've sent in, a couple of questions for you, Louise. Um, one from Feathers and Wings: Does Brokeback Mountain fit? Uh, as a western i think it it fits perfectly mm. uh, because it it makes explicit brockback mountain was actually one of my case studies in my ma by research dissertation because brockback mountain makes explicit something that has always been there in the western which is the homosociality yeah uh, the western is it has always been very homosocial the, the men care about the men they are many, many occasions in love with each other. Oh, yeah. There's a fantastic, but it's not made explicit. There's and a fantastic Brokeback mountain breaks that wall yeah. and makes it explicit and makes it not only explicit but the actual topic yeah. of the western. And in addition, is directed by Ang Lee, who is Taiwanese. Mm. So there's again some world cinema for you. There we go, perfect. Um, uh, B Film have asked if the Revenant is a western. Well, is the Last of the Mohicans a western? I would say yes. Lucy would say it is. Hmm? I would say yes, and again, I would say that the Revenant is a uh, fits as a Western very much. It fills, yeah. Absolutely. I don't know why it just doesn't appear in my mind when when I'm thinking about case mm-hmm. studies, and it's not because it's not appropriate. It's just because it doesn't appear. There's there's other names that come to my mind. Uh, well, let's just hope your supervisor isn't listening. Um, we yeah, have let's, <laughs> let's hope that. Another tw- we had a question in and from, tweeting. from <laughs> thank you. Question from, from Michael Samuel um, on Twitter. Um, Hi, he, Michael. Um, hello. Uh, question for you, Luis. Um, he's talking about, the, I mean, we haven't got much time to do it. It's a big question. The role of music uh, in various cinematic westerns. I mean, we've, we've, we talked on this, I don't know if you're listening on earlier, Michael, but we talked about uh, Ennio Morricone and, and, and how he almost like created the palette um, for these musics, but it is a huge part of it, isn't it? It is a huge part of it, and I have to say that I am quite ignorant about music. Um, you should listen to Scream Brum. Technically, I am quite ignorant about music, so I'm able to see how Morricone uses, for example, the, the soundtrack in Once Upon a Time in the West, like we were talking, but I wouldn't be able to describe it mm. properly. I think it's that distinction also between uh, a soundtrack that, you know, a, a score that is actually fitting the narrative structure, and Morricone and Nick Cave get that completely. Completely. Um, versus something like a Tarantino film where he's using a kind of a soundtrack approach, you know, uh, mixing and mashing from different genres of music 
to to have a style and approach and to evo- evoke something rather mm. than fit a narrative. So there's lots of there's a lot of different subject areas around soundtracks and scores. We yeah. talked about this on our show for a, a month ago. That's right, we? Michael. If you if you um, go onto your podcast machine and uh, and find our last show, which where we had our special guest in talking all about soundtracks um, that might answer some of your questions in particular orchestral soundtracks absolutely scores uh, as opposed to regular. scores as yeah. he called it Music, musical scores that's right so yeah I mean we could fill two hours we talking could. about we have done talking about two hours. the score <laughs> yeah around the score scores in westerns as well I'm sure um, unfortunately when it comes to time we are we are oh. really are running out of time um, we've got a couple more minutes of the show left um, Louise thank you so much for coming in oh, thank um, you for the invitation for we sharing could have gone really on another hour quite fun. easily we, we we may do if you're not careful. Um, <laughs> is there anything else anyone... I mean, our audience will be sitting around with nothing to do at the weekend. I'm sure they've all got exciting lives. But any films that you haven't mentioned that you think, oh, yeah. I mean, I would, I'm going to put my, thing, my hand in the air quickly and just say Slow West. If anyone hasn't seen that, please do. It's fantastic. Yes, it's fantastic. It looks, it looks like it's going to be a Western... And it sort of is, but it's also like a painting. It's beautiful. And it's also less than one hour and a half, which is always appreciated. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it's not fast. like the assassination of Jesse James by uh, the coward Robert Ford, which yes, is that's, long. That's, that's another Just film. the title takes an hour and a half to uh, say. I, I would also recommend a Macedonian Western called Dust, because mm. it's very interesting. It's fit, it features David Wenham and Joseph Fiennes, and it's very interesting about, if you know the context, the political context of the Balkans in the 90s, it's a very interesting film regarding that. And I would also say, if you want your mind to be blown, watch something called Western. It is a German film from 2017. And it doesn't look like a Western. It doesn't move like a Western. It doesn't sound (laughs) like a Western. It's something very, very strange. And it feels like a Western. And when you finish, you really don't know why you feel like you've watched a Western. But I think you have. Very, very, very mind-blowing, bizarre film. It looks like a Western. feels like a Western. Well, it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't look like a Western. Western. Interesting. I mean, so what I think we've come to the conclusion on here is... It's, it's a slippery thing to describe, but you kind of know And I have it. the feeling of ha- having just been rambling yeah, around. That, that's, that's the nature of Screen Brum. Um, but it, so we, we know it when we see it. It's frontiers. It's conflict. And it's a fascinating kind of... It's all over the world. It's exactly. It's, it's, and it's something that is, you know, it's a genre that is, unlike perhaps mo- many other film genres, it's a genre that has no perhaps no real analogue in any other... You know, it's, it doesn't come from theatre. You know, it's kind of... It's very much a cinematic thing. In the same way that science fiction ones are as well, but lots of other ones are, are kind of continuations of, of traditions. But this is... You know, it's perhaps, you know, one of the most purely cinematic yeah. genres. And in science fiction builds a lot on the Western. Oh, yes. Which yeah. is another two hours for you to feel. Oh, yeah. I mean, Star Wars is essentially a Western, or well, certainly yeah, the first half of that is. With yeah, uh, some Buddhism. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and with uh, with spaceships, so you can't go wrong. Exactly. So um, we're going to say goodbye. We're going to say we hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Um, we are going to be back soon. We'll find another interesting genre to talk about. But we are always open to suggestions. So if there's anything you'd like us to cover, and if you're an expert or an interested in a subject. And you want to be a guest, also let us know at ScreenBrum or you could email us info at screenbrum.co.uk. 
Um, I'm going to say this is Blake saying thank you very much and goodbye. I'm going to hand you over. I'm going to say this is Tim, allegedly, saying goodbye and see you very soon. And Luis, thank you for coming in. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a lot of fun. We hope it's been fun for you guys at home as well. And we'll see you soon.